we're starting this new series on stones as we're looking at that. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a metaphor that you'll find a lot uh, throughout Scripture, this metaphor of stones and rocks. And uh, so it's something that we'll look at from week to week. Um, and we realize that, you know, we're in a journey of celebration, a journey of God's grace, a journey uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ as we walk towards his cross and empty tomb. Here's a, an important question today. How good are you at keeping your promises? Are you a person of your word? Is your yes, yes, and your no, no? How good are you at keeping promises? Now, teenagers. Any teenagers in the house? Uh, I remember our boys as teenagers, and, uh, you know, there was always this, this issue. Have you taken out the garbage? Oh, Mom, I'm busy right now, but I promise. I promise I'll do it later. Guess what? No, I <laughs> right? Those promises that we all hear. And I'm not just picking on the teenagers because we do it also as adults. Now, they don't have major consequences, but we need to realize today that there are broken promises that do have major consequences on the way we live our lives. I, I just think about the, the couple who walks down the aisle and says their vows. And let's, let's think of a couple, Steve and Helen, for example, not their real names, they stood in front of their pastor, family and friends, on a Saturday afternoon and made some promises to each other and sealed it with a kiss. And they lived happily ever after for one year. It was at their first anniversary that Steve found out that Helen had been unfaithful to him. And she didn't keep her promises that she had made on that day. And he held this covenant that they had signed, that the pastor had given them. And he read it out loud to her in anger. Will you love him, comfort him, honor him, keep him? Yes. Will you care for him for richer or poorer in sickness and in health? Yes. Will you be faithful to him as long as you both shall live? Yes. And with that, Steve tore up their wedding covenant into tiny pieces and threw them up in the air because the promises had been broken. And Steve and Helen never spoke again except through their lawyers. See, the truth of it is we live in a world and a day of broken promises. We live in a day when covenants are broken around us. And the truth of it is, as we'll see in our passage, it's hard for covenants to be contracts to be repaired once they are broken. Our passage today, Exodus 32, we need to understand a little bit of the backstory. While the Egyptians were on their heels, God split the Red Sea for the Israelites and they passed through the water safely. We know that story. And once they made it to the other side unharmed, God destroyed their enemy. And Moses then on, went on to Mount Sinai. He went up to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord and all the laws. And the Israelites did what we often see in the Old Testament over and over and over again. They broke their promises. Then, if you think about it, back and you back up into chapter 19, it says that, starting at verse 3, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, 
this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are told to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. Now, it's fine print, but this is what they said. We will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is where Moses has been now all this time. And you'll see all these chapters up between 19 to 32 is God speaking to Moses and giving Moses his commands. And so before Moses went back up, the Lord, they had the answer from the Israelites. We will do everything the Lord has said. And so the Moses went up and sealed the deal. And this is what God had now written in stone, the Ten Commandments, a covenant to be written in stone. We hear that statement. We use it, written in stone. What do we mean? Permanent for all generations, that it will last. We will do everything the Lord has asked. Forty days. That's all it took. Forty days for them to break their promises to God. And so why did they break their promise? They got impatient. They got bored with the things of God. Moses is up on the mountain with God. Moses is having this spiritual mountaintop experience. <laughs> Guess where the people are? The people are down at the foot of the mountain because they were terrified of God. They didn't want to be around God. They didn't want to speak to God directly. Moses could speak to God. We'll just stay back here. And they're down at the foot of the mountain. And one day passes. Is he coming? No. Five days passes. Is he coming? No. Ten days? Twenty? Thirty? Moses hasn't showed up. They get impatient. They get tired. They get bored. And so in the midst of that, they go to Aaron, the second leader in command, and they say to him, make us a god. We need another god. Moses isn't coming back. We've been left here. We've been deserted. And so in their impatience, they ask him to make them a god. Oh, we can spend time today talking about how much we want a god to form with our own hands. <laughs> That we can keep in a box. That we can put on a table somewhere and bow down and worship him when it feels comfortable. And then leave him behind and leave our God behind. How easy it is to want a God that we can touch. But is that really what we want? And so they make this God in the shape of a calf. See, calves were traditionally an animal sacrifice and not just in the Jewish faith, in other faiths as well. Because calves and bulls symbolize strength and fertility, and most of the fertility gods were seen in the shape of a bull. 
And so these were the gods that you would have seen in Egypt. This is the gods that they would have seen the Egyptians bow down to. And so it was a natural choice for them. If they were making a god of their own hands, they were making it in the shape of a bull. The golden calf was a supreme act of apostasy. Supreme act of apostasy. It was the worst of the worst thing they could have done. Verse 18, something went wrong. They were singing to an image of grass-eating, milk-producing, moose-sounding cat. It was an indecent celebration, bordering in obscene. We don't get that in the words when we read it in English. But this was the god of fertility, and so you can imagine the dancing and the carousing and what was going on. And, and this is why Joshua thought there was a war going on in the camp. Because it went, went right into obscene what was happening as they worshipped this golden calf. It was wrong, first of all, because they took that which God had given them and used it for another god. The earrings, we're told that they took their gold earrings off. And the truth of it is, we all know that they were slaves. They were poor. They had nothing. But remember now, when they left Egypt, they were to plunder the Egyptians. Basically, that was a sign of victory. That was the sign of winning a war. When you won a war, you got to plunder the enemy. You got to take all their wealth. And so these bunch of slaves that knew nothing and did nothing were giving this wealth of the Egyptians, so much so that even out in the middle of the desert, a bunch of slaves, they're wearing gold earrings that belong to the Egyptians. It was all a gift from God. And they take that, and now they give it to Aaron to make this golden calf, this idol that they're going to bow down to, this Egyptian god. And as I said, the Israelites got impatient and bored with God. They couldn't wait upon God. And I want to challenge you people today. How many times do we get bored with the things of God? How many times do we get impatient when God doesn't move as quick as we think he should? Or God doesn't work on our timetable? How many times do we want a God that we can carry that is convenient how many times can we get frustrated because God is taking too long and we'll begin to make compromises of our faith? I want to challenge you today. What compromises have you made over the years? How were you when you first came to faith? And where are you today in your journey of faith? I pray and hope that you are more de dedicated and more obedient and more full of the Holy Spirit than you ever were before because that's God's desire for you. So now God is ready to abandon them and start over. He says, I want to start over with you, Moses. And so, as God was making plans for a new sanctuary up on the mountain, the Israelites were making their own plans and were offering ungodly worship to an unholy cow. And God says, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. That's verse 9. Verse 10, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. God is saying to Moses, I'm going to start over. Like I started over with Abraham. Like I tried to start over with Noah. 
And I tried to start over with Abraham, Moses, I will wipe them out, and I'll start over with Moses. And he uses this term, stiff-necked. Here it's stubborn. Oh, we won't get there. We won't go there today. Talk about being stubborn. Any stubborn people in the house? Stiff-necked. You know what the word comes from? It is those burdens of beast. <clears throat> the beast of burden. Who was too stubborn to wear the master's yoke. To follow and do what the master said. So a stiff-necked people are those who refuse to lower their head and wear the yoke of obedience to God. That's what stiff-necked means. Notice what Jesus said. That he wanted to take our burdens and replace it with what? His yoke. Which is easy and light. See, it's a dangerous position to be in that we see all throughout Scripture that Jesus dealt with it in his day, those who were stiff-necked, not willing to bow, not willing to do what God would want them to do. Stiff-necked people always think they are right and they never admit when they're wrong. They refuse to listen to good counsel. That's just the way I am, they say, and expect everyone else to deal with their attitude. They ask for advice but never follow it. They go ahead and do what they are planning to do anyway, and when in trouble, they are unwilling to be corrected or to change, and they always offer some type of excuse. They never change, they never grow, they never mature, and the saddest thing is, they're the last one to know it. And so God had had it with these stiff-necked people. And praise God, as we even looked a while back with Aaron, Moses stood in the gap and interceded. This is exactly what God is wanting Moses to choose here, because God is seeking to show his grace towards his people. He wanted to save them, but he needed a mediator. He needed Moses to stand there now and intercede. Moses had been obedient, and Moses had to stand in the gap and intercede for Israel's forgiveness. Moses is being tested here. Would Moses truly lead the people, love the people, care for the people, or was Moses wanting to start over with God too and walk away from them all? I'll tell you, there are people doing this. Instead, Moses passed the test. He loved the people, even though they were stiff-necked. And he stood in the gap for them. And he became their covenant mediator. He begins to uh, intercede on behalf of fallen, sinful, disobedient Israel. And he brings them before a holy God. And he cries out to God and says, God, your fatherly affection. These are your children. He appeals to God because of his past investment. You've rescued them. You've brought them from the Egyptians. You're going to stop and leave them here now and let them die? God always finishes what he starts. Moses appealed to God's public reputation. What will people say if you destroy them now? What will the Egyptians say? And he appealed to God's mercy and compassion. It shows us that Moses knew God was merciful and compassionate. And he appealed to God's everlasting covenant. You made a commitment, Lord, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You said that you would give them descendants. And so he appeals to God. 
He stands in the gap. And praise God, verse 14 says that God relented. And so now Moses starts his journey back down the mountain. Unfortunately, we're told in verse 19 that the tablets are broken. The very place where the Israelites had sworn 40 days before that they would keep God's law no matter what, now they stand there and the covenant of God is shattered in pieces across the ground at their feet. The deal was off. They had broken that relationship between God and them. Just like many promises we break. Can you imagine the people standing there as they see these pieces of stone and they pick them up and they realize that they have failed terribly? And imagine picking up a stone that was written by the finger of God, the Word of God on it. Like we, we have the Word of God today, and this has come through many different ways in the printing press and different things, translations and all kinds of things. But, but I can't imagine they're standing there. You've been found out. You've messed up. And there at your feet is the very stones that had God's finger writing on it. And this covenant that you had broken. They must have felt terrible grief and guilt and, sh and sorrow and shame. They messed up. They broke the covenant. They had done the very thing God told them not to. The first two commandments was that they were to what? Not worship other gods, and they were not to make any graven images, and they had already messed up on that. And so what did they deserve? Punishment. Death for their sins. He had the right to wipe them off the face of the earth and start over with Moses. He had given them every opportunity to worship him. Instead, they chose to worship other gods. Praise God, he relented. But there would be consequences for their sin. You know, it's an awful thing when you hear at the end, and there's more things that happen in this passage that are difficult, very difficult passage to read. But imagine now Moses destroying the golden calf and grinding it into a dust, and him watching him do that, and putting it in water, and giving to every one of them, and saying, now drink this. You see, the idols had to be annihilated. They couldn't be hidden away somewhere that someone could pull them out again. <laughs> it, it, it had to be a picture of the cost of what their sin and disobedience had caused. I love this part of the story. Excuses. <laughs> so now Moses goes to Aaron, his brother, and says to him, Now what have you done, Aaron? Right? What have you done? Moses, look. What happened? I threw some gold in the fire, and poof! <laughs> this calf came out. <laughs> what excuses? Poof! Out came this calf. I had nothing to do with it. Little old me. I, I thought about Adam in the garden. Well, you know, Lord, the woman you gave me took the fruit and gave it to me. Right? Excuses. 
won't get even into that. No, no, nobody's making any comments on that one. We'll, we'll move on. <coughs> Aaron had no excuse for his behavior. At this point, Aaron should have confessed. He should have pleaded for God's mercy, for God's forgiveness. Instead, he says, oh, the people made me do it. Now, now the truth of it is, uh, you know, Aaron, no matter what the people did, Aaron was responsible for his own decisions and his own sin. And we live in a day of blame. We live in a day of excuses. You know, we hear all kinds of excuses. Well, it's because of my parents. It's, it's because of my upbringing. It's because of my friends. Uh, my boss didn't treat me fairly. My wife doesn't meet my needs. Everyone else was doing it. We hear the excuses all around us. And whether we confess and admit our sins or we do not, God holds us all accountable to our sin. Salvation is for sinners. I heard you say this morning, not perfect, not righteous, not the people who have it all together or think they have it all together. Salvation, what this journey to the cross is all about, it is for sinners. It is for those who realize we have messed up and we deserve to be destroyed. We deserve death. We have no right that we come, O oh God. But we confess our sins. Doesn't what the scripture tells us to do? Confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And the beauty of this story is when we confess our sins, we can take our shame and our regret and our blame, and we can place them on Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what it's all about. Our broken promises, our sin, all the times we've messed up, all the times we're ashamed, all the guilt that we feel. We can take this now. When we confess our sins, we can take all of that and place it on Jesus. Because that's what Jesus has done for each one of us. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That this king and lord of the universe decided to take my sin, my shame, my abandonment, my brokenness, and carried it for me. See, God is up on his holy mountain, and here we are down on earth. Actually, there's a worship song that says that. And like the Israelites, we're here floundering in our folly and our rebellion against God. And what we need is someone like Moses, someone who will come down, someone who will intercede for us, someone who can turn away the wrath of God. And plead for his mercy on our behalf. That's what Jesus has done. Go down, Jesus. Go down. And my people are the ones I gave from all eternity have become corrupt. 
and they are living in sin, and they have turned away from me and my law to worship other gods. And unless you intercede, unless you spill your blood, unless you pay the price, they will surely be destroyed. And praise God, Jesus did come. And Jesus interceded for us. And Jesus laid down his life for us and is our mediator. It's easy for us when we look at these passages to say, well, idols, we don't have a golden calf pastor in our home. We don't have a golden calf at the front of the church. But my friends, I could preach a whole message on that. We don't have time this morning. But idols, we can so easily want to worship our own gods and throw our own parties and basically live my life as I please. Thank you very much. But sooner or later, God will confront our sin in this life or the next. We're going to have to give account for our broken promises. We're going to have to give account for our sin. I like what A.W. Pink said. An idol is anything which displaces God in my heart. Anything which displaces God in my heart. Did you hear me? Because that can even be good things. Oh, I don't even want to go in today. The excuses that we hear as pastors. All the excuses. And you could probably look at it and say, well, that's a good thing they're often doing instead of being here or there. But... Has it taken the place of God in your heart? Are we getting bored with the things of God? Are we impatient that this pandemic isn't lifting the restrictions quick enough? Sick of wearing the mask? Yeah, but it's keeping us safe. Praise God for it. My friends today, Jesus spilled his own blood for us. And interceded for us. And he is the covenant mediator. The one and only. Who even at the cross. Said when sin. And the sinful world. That was far from God. Nailed him to the cross. He was perfect. He was the one who was innocent. He was the one who was obedient. Even obedient unto death. And says from the cross. And prays for us. Even there. He prays for us. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. God knew we would break our promises. <laughs> God knew that we would say one moment at an altar, at camp, at a revival, at all kinds of, oh, I'll serve you, Lord, I'll do what you ask, Lord. What kind of commitments have we made to God? And it didn't even last on Monday. Last a month or 40 days. You see, we're not so great at keeping our promises to. We have good intentions. Kingdom of God cannot be built on good intentions. <laughs> we have all kinds of promises we've made that we haven't kept. Now, now when I think about that, I, I think about, I know that I don't do the things I used to do. I've said this before. Like, like you come to a place in your life as a believer that those vices and things in the past you're not interested in anymore. And the Holy 
Spirit has given you strength and power to say no. That's freedom. That's the freedom we have in Christ, is we can say no to things that had power over us in the past. But here's the area that I know in my own life, and I want to challenge us as a church today. There are a lot of things I should do. And I said I would. But, oh, God, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Help my flesh to catch up with the Spirit. There are promises that I haven't followed through on. Commitments I've made to the Lord that I haven't followed through on. And if we were all to be honest today, we would say, Pastor, and I would say, Lord, we've, we've broken our promises. But I praise God today, there is one who kept his promise, even to death on the cross. And he was obedient, even to death. And I want to challenge us today as we move forward that God's laws are timeless. Jesus didn't wipe out the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. God's expectations of us didn't change. You and I can violate them. We can ignore them. We can even try to rewrite them and even fit them into our world and the way we think the circumstances and our needs. And we can make excuses and we can say, God, look the other way. Don't, don't look. I, I kept thinking about that this week of, of the little child that's been told not to eat the brand new baked smelling great chocolate chip cookies. And they're in that cookie jar, and, and, and when no one was looking, you could see this little toddler up on their tippy toes with their hand in the cookie jar, and they've got a chocolate chip cookie. And Grandma walks in. And guess what the little toddler says? Nana, look away. <laughs> look away, Nana. Isn't that what often we do with God? God, I'm going to live my life the way I want to. I'm going to do what I think. I'm going to make excuses for my lifestyle and my attitude and my broken promises. And I'll just say, God, look away. Don't look what I'm doing. Just look away, Lord. And the truth of it is God can't look away. And how many times have we bowed down to false gods of success and Control and beauty and pleasure and dare I say even family. All good things. Somebody put it this way. We want him to give us a lift when we come to worship on Sunday. But we don't want him to govern all our words and actions the rest of the week. We want him to change others. <laughs> oh I can tell you a whole list of people pastor that the Lord needs to change. But we don't want him to change us. Praise God today, this first Sunday of Lent, there is good news. I hope you heard the good news today. That God has made a way for us to live in covenant with him because of the gift of his grace and mercy. And he has provided forgiveness by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Christ who died. He is our promise keeper. Well, that's not just the men's movement. And he fulfilled all that the Father required of him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come.
That is why it says he was obedient even on to death. I want to challenge you today as you receive your stones. We're going to uh, do something a little different during the series. In this moment you entered... And as we sing this closing song, you received a stone today. Oh, it's a small stone. And if I was to think today, I probably needed the wheelbarrow if I was going to look at all my broken promises. Some of us still feel the shame and the regret of promises unkept. I'm going to invite you today to bring your broken promises, to bring your shame and your regret to the one who kept the promise for all of us. The promise keeper, who was obedient even unto death. I, I want some of you today, as you bring this stone for you, it's this guilt that you're under, it's the shame that you're under that you just can't seem to get up out underneath that. Bring the stone today to the foot of the cross as a symbol that you're putting, and you can, he's asking you to. You can put your sin and your blame and your shame on Jesus. He wants to carry it for you. Maybe today your stone being brought to the foot of the cross would be, Lord, would you help me to be a person of my word? That my yes is yes and my no is no, and I'm not perfect, Lord, but I do my best to keep your promises, to be an example to those around in this body of Christ, to the generation that's growing up underneath us, but even greater to the community around us, that I am indeed a person who does their best to keep the promises of God by the Holy Spirit's empowerment. I want to encourage you today that we have a mediator, a covenant mediator, that is known as the way, who has made the way for you and made the way for me. And so this is a time of celebration. It's not just a matter of confessing and admitting. It is a matter of walking away known that we are forgiven, that God loves us, and God has made a way for each one of us. I'm going to encourage you as we sing this closing song to bring your stones to the foot of the cross, and then I'll pray.